All right, let's uh, not uh, forget the significance of Black History Month here in February, and uh, very important with events and historic uh, situations that uh, certainly uh, we should always keep present here to uh, help uh, keep us in check and remind us and to go over uh, the significance of it all is Laura Harding does a great job, president of Race Races, and uh, nice enough to give us a couple of minutes here. Uh, on this uh, Tuesday morning, we say a very good morning to you, Laura. Welcome. And uh, we are in the midst of, indeed, and uh, we're in the midst, obviously, Black History Month. And uh, there is plenty of significance uh, for us to uh, kind of point to, remember, and, it's, and certainly look to the future. Good morning, Jay. Happy Black History Month, and thank you for always having me on. Indeed. And being such a supporter it's important. of race, race. It's very important to reference. Go ahead. No, I just wanted to thank you for always having us on, and especially during this oh, important a, month. Absolutely. Always a pleasure uh, because, you know, you got to have these communication lines open. People have to be aware. People have to think. And certainly the, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the significance uh, and the the history is something we can never forget, and we have to always remember. Yeah, because black history is also American history, right? And I think far too often Mm -hmm. see it as something being separate. And And so this month reminds us so much of the contributions that black people have made to American society in general and to our country and the way that we continue to um, contribute to the success of our country and our community. No question about it. Now, Laura wrote a great piece. One of the real reasons uh, I wanted to get her on, uh, not only because of the month and the significance of it, obviously, uh, but she wrote a great piece uh, in The Hill. It's an opinion piece. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a time to focus and celebrate and everything else. However, uh, we are approaching, uh, from what I was reading, the 70th anniversary in May of the court's decision, uh, yes. Brown versus the Board of Ed, uh, yes. and that of Topeka. Uh, and it requires a little more in-depth look, and you give us that. Give me a sense. Give the audience a sense there, Laura. Yeah, so I think that, you know, the question we have to ask ourselves as we approach the 70th anniversary of Brown v. Board of Ed is, have we really met the the measure of the law? And I think we can resoundingly say no, especially in New York uh, State and especially on Long Island, where we are the 10th most segregated uh, region in the nation, in the nation, and our school systems continue to be segregated. And the issue with the segregate, well, the fact that we're segregated at all is problematic, but it still goes back to the heart of the Brown case, which is also the inequitable funding. And so I think that as we begin to ask ourselves, you know, a lot of times we pat ourselves in the back because we're like, yes, we passed the Civil Rights Act. But as you can see across the nation, many people are, many, many states are rolling back some of those um, wins, those hard-fought gains that we, well, that we got during the Civil Rights era. And more importantly, we haven't even met them, right? And the Brown 
case and celebrating the 70th anniversary. I don't even think it's a celebration to be had. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, have we ever met the mandate from Brown? And I don't think that we ever have. You know, it's interesting to me. You know, you look at the state of New York, which, you know, listen, it's a liberal state. I mean, let's let's uh, put it front that, and center but... here. <laughs> well, I mean, it's long it's long been considered. Let's put it that way. But right. you look at segregation in the schools, and that's yeah. a reality, right, when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, because I was reading one out of every three students of color in New York attends a district yeah. that is – Nine percent uh, or more students of color. So, you know, when you think about this day and age and everything else, uh, that's all. You know, it, it, it's kind of alarming stuff when you think about it. You know, it's alarming. And here's the thing about it: is that you can't talk about segregation in education without talking about segregation in housing. And so as we on Long Island are dealing with a major housing shortage and certainly affordable housing, right, for whether it's Mm -hmm. for low-income people or for middle class or new college students, new graduates or new families. I mean, I just talked to a man who told me that um, if he graduated from law school today, with his position today as a partner, with his family, he would not be able to afford the home that he is in now because of how much it's worth as a partner of a law firm. So imagine families who are starting out um, who are unable to buy a starter home, purchase a starter home, right? So, So there's that piece. And then the other piece about the segregation in, in, in education is also the inequitable funding piece. Even though the governor has fully funded foundation aid, what we know, and even though um, people, residents in communities of color who have less home ownership are paying a higher rate of taxes, we still have these communities who are not receiving the appropriate funding, despite the amount of money New York City, New York, I'm sorry, not the city, New York, spends on education, there's still not enough funding to actually address and and meet the needs of the students. And, And this is, we should all be concerned about it, right? This isn't a person of color or black people issue, this is really an us issue. Because at the end of the day, if we are not creating educated uh, adults, responsible adults who can have family-sustaining careers, what is the future of the region? What is the future of Long Island? What is the future um, of our country? And I think that, you know, Black History Month reminds us that it's not a black thing, that it is an American thing, and that when we begin to see each other as being um, intertwined and interwoven, then we will begin to understand that what happens to each of us impacts the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. And, and, you know, you bring up the schools, which has been a point of contention over the last week or so, in which we have mm-hmm. discussed with many an official up in Albany, Laura, and the yeah. fact that, you know, foundation aid is going to be cut. That is the very core of funding. 
well, that keep these well, schools thriving with programs and everything else. So, listen, it's a massive issue in itself. Yeah, but let's not let, let's talk about what it is, right? Foundation aid actually right. isn't going to be cut because there are actually places on Long Island, districts on Long Island that re, that will receive increases. Um, as a result, because they have higher need students. So we call that maintenance of equity. The issue, um, based on the research that Erase Racism has done, and this is where we get to the heart of segregation, right? Over the last 10, 15 years, and our report shows this, enrollment has declined on Long Island um, in all districts. However, in the segregated districts of color with the highest need students, they have seen an increase of students with higher needs. And so what the governor is saying, in my opinion, is, hey, some of these districts that literally have had declining enrollment and we have been paying to either keep open or keep funding, first of all, some of these districts could actually be okay with a cut and do well because the amount of money they spend per student um, is, is really nice. Uh, but I think this really asks Long Island a question, right? And, and, and hear me out as we think about segregation. There are school districts with declining enrollment who are being held harmless, meaning they are being funded at the same amount of money they would receive with a larger enrollment. And they're small, and some of them are not so small. But it may make sense to open the borders of your district and share some of your resources to be able to keep your funding, right, and also to be able to help some of the districts that are nearby who don't get as much funding because they may be in a less wealthy community. And so maybe now is the time for us as Long Islanders to ask ourselves, how can we actually work together to deal with the fact that our state will be going through a deficit? So some of these some of these districts have AP classes. Um, they'll be able to maintain their AP classes. They'll be able to maintain their ratio of of uh, counselors and teachers and students. And there are other districts that will never meet the ratio they need. But if districts actually work together and pool resources. Um, Obviously, the governor is probably not going to go through with these funding cuts. It's probably a political move. However, it pushes us to really think about how we can work each work with each other to support uh, the students and their needs and the teachers and their needs, right? Because if your enrollment is declining, at some point, you're not going to need as many teachers. However, if you can bring some students from another district in. Maybe you can keep your your teachers and your funding. No, I understand what you're saying. I, you know, my biggest problem is, well, uh, listen, 300 of the nearly, what, 700 in New York districts are going to lose aid as a result of this thing. You know, my biggest problem is, you know, she did away with this hold harmless situation, or save harmless, as it's called, which guarantees the district wouldn't receive less aid than it did the previous year. Uh, and that's, you know, part of my issue here because we know that, it, and again, you're looking at the island with 124 districts, 77 or so would be affected. Uh, but 
the formula has always been doled out regarding foundation. I mean, that's the main part of money. I mean, that helps the operating costs on a day-in, day-out basis. That's my biggest issue. It does. It does. So she's not cutting foundation aid. What she's saying is I'm actually funding you as a school district to the funding you should have, right, which is really an equitable funding. Because when you – there's only, like, one or two districts that we have an issue with that erase racism where we're questioning the decision the governor is making. But if you pull back, first of all, the question is why does Long Island have 120 districts, over 120 districts? There's no need for that many districts on Long Island. That's the first thing. So we really should be thinking about where are the districts that we can consolidate because that would also help us. Second thing, I would really love for the governor to actually fund NYSED to study the change to, to foundation aid simply because the foundation aid numbers are still skewed towards uh, 2017. They're actually not current with 2024 inflation, going through a pandemic, and rates. So that's a whole other issue. However, she's not cutting foundation aid. What she's saying is at this point, I am funding you according to how you really should be funded. And my position is, erase racism's position is, that um, that actually technically isn't such a bad thing because, one, some of these districts that are being held harmless are actually being funded as if they're fully, there's full enrollment and they're taking money away from districts that actually need funds. So it's hard to justify, um, it's hard to justify keeping a district open and funding teachers who could be used somewhere else. So I understand where she's going. And if you actually look at the numbers, many districts are receiving an increase in funding. And no one's talking about that because the increase in funding is tied to their high-need students. So I think that we have to have a more nuanced look about what the governor is trying to do. And I think this is tying it back to Black History Month. It really goes back to the fact that so many of our districts are segregated on Long Island. We have so many, uh, we have over 120-something districts, which really at this point, it's ridiculous given the fact that people can't afford That I agree with you. So the enrollment is declining. Uh, listen, and that you know, I what am I mean? in, like, you know, listen. I'm in full agreement with you on that. Uh, I I do not want to see superintendents uh, making uh, three hundred and fifty thousand. Then you got another district uh, who basically is about a mile and a half away. Another guy making about right. four hundred thousand there. Right. So right. in essence, that is a complete <laughs> waste of money. Listen, here's right. my bottom line right. with all with all that went on right. with the schools, Laura. You know, the COVID, the remote learning, masks, teachers being let go and everything else scores are way under as far as where we should be with our kids at this point in time. I think the the last thing on the docket would be to take away from some of these districts. And again, it's great to see some of the districts that have been underperforming. They're getting a little more money. I like to see that. But I just don't want to see cuts at all uh, as far as that is concerned. But yeah. 
I'll give you a final word on that. I agree with you. I agree with you um, in that point. But let me also say this. The num- part of the reason why we also have a lack of information about scores on Long Island and across the state is because Long Island has been leading the testing out, out, out fight. And so it's been skewed as something that our kids shouldn't participate in, but it actually should be helped. It's something they should not if it's tied to teacher performance, only if it's used to help us understand where we need to fill in the gaps for our students. And I think, you know, it's hard to to say, well, we're underperforming when we don't know because parents aren't having their kids tested to assess where they are and where we need to, to um, you know, focus on. Um, and I do think we need to think about consolidating districts. Uh, it will be a way to keep teachers employed, to keep schools fully enrolled, to ensure that all students get the support they need. And frankly, unless we deal with this housing situation on Long Island, yeah. we're going to continue to have people being overtaxed because we're not creating enough housing to bring people on to pay, pay less taxes. No question. And we will continue to discuss that is the most important aspect. Know that you do have the platform in this program uh, to bring up these very important issues. Always a pleasure. I implore you to read Laura's piece, the opinion piece in the Hill. Fascinating. Regarding the Supreme Court back in the days in Topeka on the uh, equities. Yes. Uh, very important piece. And can't thank you enough, Laura. I appreciate it. Thank you. Can I also announce uh, our event that's happening at Hofstra University on Thursday? It's called Long Island Takes Action, and it's a conversation about um, the housing situation on Long Island and how segregation has impacted that. And we would love Long Islanders to come out and share what they think are some of the strategies that would address the issue instead of having other people tell them what to do. Um, and Excellent. I'll get him. Origin and American Excellent. fiction for, for Black History Month. All right. 